the power that the platforms have and how the platforms are more incentivized to have them as the star, not necessarily the artist. Yeah. And I think this is something that we've seen happen more and more. If you're someone that uses TikTok on a regular basis, this is how the app has been designed. That for you right. page is meant for passive scrolling and who that post is from is in a much smaller font than anything else, right? You see this video, you go to the next one and Instagram has essentially done um, the same thing with reels. So right, this is right. now just tapping into this way where the platforms understand that they are the place, they are mm. the destination. So it's harder for the artists themselves to really be able to build that deeper connection. So that's where yes. it becomes even more likely that the people that are liking and engaging on each thing may not actually know as much about you as right. you know someone else that could be on a particularly different platform. So it is brought to you by DistroKid. DistroKid is a distribution service that can get your music into all the DSPs like Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram. Over a million artists have used DistroKid. I'm one of those artists. I've used DistroKid to get my music out, distribute some of my songs. As you know, as I look into all of these distribution services, I test them out. And DistroKid is great. They offer a ton of features, annual fee unlimited uploads and you keep a hundred percent of your royalties check out districtkid.com what's going on welcome to the new music business i'm your host ari herstand author of how to make it in the new music business the book third edition coming very soon today my guest is dan runcy he runs the media company trapital specifically the podcast trapital he's interviewed guests like troy carter and Issa ray trapital has been featured in the wall street journal new york times bbc world news npr cnbc axios etc he's been talking to a lot of people has great insight and perspective and uh, we we spent a bit of time talking about where the industry is at right now in indie versus major and where the discovery mechanisms and what is uh where where are artists being discovered and what is their focus right now and the difference between how major labels are approaching signing artists now versus how they did even five years ago and the purpose of social media and ticket sales and all of that stuff it was just kind of a broad overview kind of shooting the shit with a, a business mind so if you've ever wondered what it's like when you get two uh stewards of the music business together and uh just volleying back and forth and you want to be a fly in the wall in that conversation and uh hopefully you'll be able to keep up this is the episode for you it was a lot of fun chatting with dan and uh, i think you're gonna you're gonna enjoy it you can find trapital the podcast wherever you get your podcasts and you can find them on instagram and Twitter. You can find Ari's Take and all of a sudden make the show happen on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Find me at Ari Herstan on Instagram and Twitter. Head over to Ari'sTake.com, get on that email list. That is where you're going to get the most up-to-date information we send out, uh, all the relevant info that you need about the new music business. And if you could just actually pause the show right now and... Uh, Follow it, subscribe, and leave us a five-star review on Spotify Podcasts and Apple Podcasts. That would be very helpful. It's uh, that, that really helps go a long way. And, and give us the follow because you're going to want us in your feed, hopefully. All right, let's kick into the show. Dan Runcy, welcome to the show. Ari, thanks for having me. So, uh, so rarely, if ever, do I actually get a, a podcast host on the show and of course you got all the gear and you got a nice looking microphone in front of you and um you know it's kind of like a a a host to host journalist to journalist uh you know just music business lover aficionado all of it in the world i feel like we've been we've been you know swimming in the same circles for a while and i'm i'm so glad that we finally get to connect this way and i'm excited for our conversation Likewise. Yeah, I think you've had a great perspective on this space. Obviously, you're speaking from your own experience as a musician yourself that's resonating with folks. And I know you know it's better than anyone running the media side and the content and distribution is a whole nother job itself that we can both relate on. So yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, I'm excited to talk to you about, I mean, your insight and just kind of where the industry is at currently, specifically in kind of uh, the the hip hop community. And uh, because, you know, uh, in hip hop, 
you know, the hip hop community has been innovators. I mean, since the beginning of the genre and but even more so in the business side, um, there have been, you know, risks taken and paths paved that have traditionally kind of uh, not been necessarily the way that it's always been done. And I think the whole industry always kind of looks towards, um, well, whether they whether they're choosing to look towards it or are forced to look towards hip hop and, and kind of taking the cues um, from the innovators. Um, I'm curious on your perspective of kind of where we're at now as an industry, but specifically kind of what have you been seeing as of the last year or two in the hip hop community uh, when it comes to the business and where are the innovations happening right now and what is exciting you right now? Yeah, there's a few things I've noticed, especially the past couple of years. It's been great because we've seen so many artists who want to break out either on their own, doing their own things. And that doesn't necessarily mean independent of a record label. That just means they want to pursue their own business interests. And I think that the optionality that the industry offers, whether that's you can build your business around you to either make money off of your music in more creative ways or use your music as a platform to make money elsewhere, there's more options than ever to do that. So I think we've seen hip hop artists embrace several things at Mm. the height of the pandemic. We definitely saw more artists getting involved with crypto and Web3 and Mm. NFTs and seeing what that looked like. We have seen a bit of a dip there, but that was one of the things we saw in the past few years. We're also seeing a lot of artists bounce back with festivals and bounce back with their own performances. So it's been very interesting to see how a lot of these artists that were great at getting and capturing a lot of attention through social media or streaming how does that translate when you're actually trying to sell tickets? And right, some of them right. are, some of them have been pleasantly surprised by what they've seen, but others, yeah. it's been a bit of a hard awakening where they realize that the people that are following you on these platforms aren't necessarily the ones who are followers of your music. Well, and, you know, oh yeah, continue. Oh yeah. And I think the one thing that this ties in with too is TikTok. And that's yeah. been one of the biggest levers for the industry the past year and a half thinking specifically about the growth and the influence of that platform. Mm -hmm. So much of the music that's popular there is hip hop music that's driving this. So when we think about all that Mm -hmm. influence, how that all taps in, making sure that artists still have the right metrics that they're using to understand who their followers are, who their fans are, and how that translates to running a business and with customers that they can go back to and serve time and time again. Yes. I've been taking furious notes because you just touched on like five points that if we were doing like a presentation, you just kind of like gave us our assertions and our headers and like all the different points that I want to be talking about. Um, But that was great. You talked on so many things. I mean, specifically, you know, with uh, well, with NFTs, when you when you initially mentioned, you know, um, artists finding more creative ways to monetize their brand. Of course, that that you know exploded uh, early 2021. We saw, you know, Snoop. I think has been like a leader uh, in his own right, but he's a celebrity, and you know he has innovated and, and done so many drops and made quick, cool 10, 20 million. Who knows how much it has been on his NFT drops? But there's also been, um, you know, artists at every other level. Um, I'm curious when it comes to in the independent community, like you you alluded to, you're saying that not every artist uh, by getting creative um, with with their um, business pursuits, it doesn't mean that they're necessarily avoiding the labels. I'm curious where what is the perception right now? What is kind of are you seeing more artists that are wanting to follow in kind of the independent chance, the rapper model? and stay independent, maintain independence, and grow completely independent of a major label? Has the pendulum now, you know, eight years later swung, 10 years later swung back the other way, and they, they're clamoring at the deals once again because now deals have, um, you know, because the industry shifted, the power has um, fallen a lot back into the artist's hands. Um, and so you are seeing more favorable deals. We've we've talked on the show a lot about the li- new licensing deals that majors are offering artists, 50-50 splits, the whole thing. Um, where, what are you seeing right now? Are, are you seeing that 
uh, artists are trying to maintain independence. They're jumping at the deals, everywhere in between. Do you have any examples? Love to hear it. I think we've seen a few different things. And I think the biggest way that I've seen this play out is that if we look at just a distribution of the artists and how much music that is being put onto these platforms, we see the stats. Spotify, essentially, every few years, you feel like there's a 50% increase in terms of the number of tracks that are uploaded to right. this platform per day. Whether people are listening to most of those tracks is another story, but it's sure. trending that way in general. But yes. the thing is, whenever this happens, whenever you give people more options, they do tend to go back to the hits and they do tend to trend back mm. to what they know. And with mm. that, that does give power to artists that are in major label deals and those who already are familiar. I was recently talking with um, Tati Sirisano from Media Research about this and how there's certain artists who were really popular before the streaming era and got popular in the tail in the early days of it, thinking about your Drake's, your Taylor Swift's that have been able to reach levels that are very hard for newer artists to reach. That said, there's so many of them that have folks like Bad Bunny and others have definitely continued to grow, grow. But I do think that it's become a bit tougher for them. So when I think we look at record label deals, we're seeing a few things. One, a lot of the established artists, once they have enough leverage, they are re-upping their deals and they are getting ownership of their masters and getting ownership of their rights moving forward. I think we've mm -hmm. seen this with a lot of the Republic record deals. You look at Drake's most recent deal that he had, Taylor Swift's deal that she had where she you know, famously a few years ago was in a bit of a bidding war and then she ended up going with herself. And you even see a newer artist like Olivia Rodrigo who has a licensing deal where she ultimately does get to own her work in the future. That mm. said, that's a bit more of a unique case because to the point you mentioned earlier, yes, there are many more tools where artists do have the ability to grow and build their career on their own, but it has created this interesting thing where now if you want to be someone that signs with the label, they're ultimately hoping that you on yourself can get from zero to 40 or zero to 60 on your own and that you're trying to sign with them to get to a hundred. And I think this is where the optionality comes because do you necessarily want to get to a hundred? I think that's the power of the way the industry is right now. Not every artist needs to do that to necessarily be successful. I think there's plenty yep. of ways to define success without needing that. And even though I think a rise like what Chance the Rapper had a few years ago is probably even harder to replicate now, there's plenty of people who are successful artists in their own right who mm. don't necessarily even need to reach those levels. So I still think that it's a great time for artists who are very clear about what their intentions are, what their goals are. And even if they may not have a lot of the vanity metrics of how many Instagram followers they have, are they performing at the award shows? Are they, you know, getting late night mm -hmm. interviews and things like that? They still have their base and they're still able to leverage the power of the internet in these platforms. The ones that work in their favor, of course, to be able to reach the people. So I do think yeah. that there's still a good amount of artists who are staying independent that want to. But I think we also see others that, you know, if the major label calls, they're not going to not pick up the phone. Right. Yeah. Yeah, you mentioned uh, vanity metrics, and, and you also uh, discussed earlier, do streams um, and followers result in ticket sales? And I think, you know, what there's been kind of this, um, I, I've been studying what the live music landscape is looking like now post Post pandemic, uh, I think we can officially say post pandemic now, <laughs> um, not post COVID, but post pandemic. Um, and you know, it was kind of this mad scramble where we thought that people were going to flood back into the clubs and the theaters and the arenas and everywhere because they were um, they were so desperate for live music again. Uh, I think the reality has shown that that's not actually the case. I think it's a combination of um, new buyer habits, uh, fan customer habits that they kind of sunk into during the pandemic. Um, you know, they don't feel the need to go out as much um, and that some of them are just not really inclined to go out as much as they used to go out and they've found routines at home, which results in lower ticket sales, especially for these mid-level artists. Um, and I've been hearing left and right 
of these Spotify darlings, these, you know, artists that have tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of streams and monthly listeners on Spotify can't sell 40 tickets at any stop on their tour. That is not a good look for the industry uh, when there's that massive discrepancy between these metrics, these these numbers on the internet to hard ticket sales. And I feel like that is almost a, um, it's this divide between internet artists and real life artists and this divide between what is uh, achievable in, you know, online, and then how can you translate that? But I feel like the onus is also, uh, there's a responsibility, and I think Spotify is realizing this, There's and Instagram, and, and all the platforms that are, that are basically building their platforms off of the work of creators and artists. There's some kind of responsibility to help the artists uh, and creators build a career that they have now um they have now helped the platforms grow so much you know and so spotify is launching new tools every day to help artists and it, it you know help reach them save from the one thing that we really need which is let me message all of my followers right now and tell them about my tour they don't do that and i grilled them when they were on the show why aren't they doing that bands in town does that it's one click it's literally message all of my fans in minneapolis boom Bands in Town sends it out. Thank you, Bands in Town. Why doesn't Spotify let me do that? That's insane and annoying and frustrating because, like, how are we supposed to get in touch with all of our fans and followers? But we've seen this time and time again. Facebook convinced us, you know, 10 years ago, 12, 15 years ago, build up Facebook pages of all our fans. We did that. And then Facebook rips the rug out and is like, oh, guess what? Now, if you want to reach any of them, you have to pay us. And, like, every platform is kind of like that because we forget at the end of the day, you know, you rent your fans to social media, you own them if you get their email addresses or their phone numbers. There's a big difference there. And it's same with Spotify. It's like, yes, we're so obsessed uh, with streaming numbers as an industry. And we, you know, everybody's first check is like, oh, how many monthly listeners you got on Spotify? How many streams you got? All that stuff. And then, oh, we'll go check out Instagram followers. But does that translate to real lifelong fans? Does that translate to um, you know, tickets sold, people that are going to support you for life, they're going to like, you know, spend that's the, the true fans concept. Are they going to spend at least $100 a year on you for the rest of your career? Oftentimes, no. But then on the flip side, it actually we see it the other way. We're seeing artists that are selling out tours, selling out clubs, theaters, whole shows, and they're in their numbers are seemingly negligible. And so like, I, I often Always encourage people to check yourself when you're judging somebody based on their vanity metrics on their numbers and really go to their show, look around at the fans, see how many people are in there. Like I could name a hundred artists who you would probably scoff at their numbers on Spotify or Instagram, but they're selling out their shows. Now, what would you rather have is the question. Is this like, do you want ticket buying fans? Or do you want do you want the vanity metrics? Do you want you know your Instagram looking cool or your Spotify? Now, granted, with Spotify you get paid for those streams, so yeah, that that that's money and that that helps as well. Um, so I'm curious though, you know, are you seeing kind of in the conversation of the people that you're talking to, specifically in the hip hop community, um, you know? Have those goals and intentions shifted? Like you mentioned, not everybody needs to get to 100. Maybe living at 60 is cool. That's a healthy career. I mean, you know, there's artists right now that, I mean, shit, who would not want to be an artist, a mid-level artist that can maybe sell 1,500 tickets wherever they go? That is a solid living. That is a serious fan base. But maybe you're only looking at 100,000 monthly listeners. Maybe you're looking at 50,000 monthly listeners. Maybe you're looking at 50 thousand Instagram followers topped out, you know, and it's like, where, where's the conversation right now? Have goals and intentions shifted? Have people woken up to the fact that vanity metrics aren't, you're not going to build a career on vanity metrics? I'm curious your thoughts on all that. 
Yeah, we're starting to see that conversation happen more because we're starting to see more and more of that disconnect, right? You would have artists that would use metrics like first week album sales as a benchmark against each other. But even that isn't necessarily the best measure of who is going to these concerts or who's doing these things. In terms of the live performance piece, which is the first thing that you mentioned, I think I've seen a few trends there because the top line numbers we've seen is that Live Nation just had record revenue and that music is back, right? And while I think that's true, as we both know, for the top artists, like the weekends, you know, selling out arenas and or stadiums at this point, it's the mid-level artists who are the ones that we're talking about that are much more affected by this. And I think this is important because we also saw this recent report. This is from um, Steve Cooper, the outgoing CEO from Warner, who had said that the label is less dependent on superstars than it was in the past. And I think that there's some nuance there because someone could take that and think that that means that, oh, well, it's the time for the mid-level artist, but it's not quite that. What that means more so is that the definition of superstar is just changing a bit where, let's say 30 years ago, it could be Michael Jackson, Queen, or whoever, or Madonna, and you know the mm-hmm. biggest artists of the 80s, Prince, and others. But now there's probably 20 people who you could say across all genres who are at those levels on a global perspective. So those folks are still superstars selling out arenas and doing all yeah. those things, but they're just not at that like Beatlemania level that the industry was used to having before. Right. And, and I think maybe to go along with his quote, what what I think a lot of the major labels are looking at right now is it's not necessarily that they need the superstars to keep uh, the label profitable and successful. Uh, It doesn't need to be artists to them. As we've been seeing catalog acquisitions, as we've been seeing uh, labels snap up songs, just individual songs. I'm mean, granted they're signing the artist, but they're only signing it for the viral TikTok hit. Honestly, they don't care about the development of the artist. The artist doesn't know that. I wish they would. But like what you're saying, because previously historically, you know, the the major label failure rate was 98 percent, meaning it's like they sign 100 acts and 98 of them this year are not going to recoup the cost of their advance to get a you know a second album, um, and they're going to get dropped. Now it's interesting that. It's not really to the label about which are my acts are going to be profitable because whether they build a a touring business or not is really of no concern to the major labels if they don't have, if they're not participating in touring revenue. If If they haven't signed a 360 deal, which we're fortunately seeing less and less of. If the label's not participating in touring, they don't care about touring. So whether they whether the artist becomes successful or not, they don't care about. They want to make sure that their money at the end of the year is in the black. And the way that they do that is they get enough hits. And the way that they get hits, it's not necessarily as much anymore about the artists that are the superstars that are pumping out consistent hits like Drake or The Weeknd or Michael Jackson. Uh, it's It's now... They're they're just that's why 2020 was the year of TikTok signees. It was like, you know, 60 percent of every artist that got signed to a major label in 2020. And I think even 2021 was a TikTok hit. And it's like, I mean, I, I wish like every artist wants to think that they that they've made it when they get the major label deal. We're going to – Vox, I think, did a really good piece on um, – they, they interviewed me for this uh, and, and spoke to a lot of great people about this, of what happens to songs after they go viral on TikTok. And they actually followed up with a lot of the songs that you know went viral in 2019 and 2020 and like where are they now and what has happened now. But we're going to look back in five to ten years from now. We're going to look back at this era and be like, wow. It's like the one-hit wonders we know from the 90s, you know? It's like there's going to be the one-hit wonders of the TikTok era. It's like, oh, yeah, that song trended on TikTok for two and a half weeks. They got a major label deal. They got a million bucks. And then they flushed it all in three years, <laughs> you know? And they don't have a career to speak of. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's so, it's, it's so fascinating because... It it also makes me think of this other point that you mentioned on just the power that the platforms have and how the platforms are more incentivized to have them as the star, not necessarily the artist. And I think this is something that we've seen happen more and more 
if you're someone that uses TikTok on a regular basis, this is how the app has been designed. That for you page is meant for passive scrolling and who that post is from is in a much smaller font than anything else, right? We right. were done with the days where Instagram would have that banner up top for who did a post. Of course, it still has that. But if we're thinking about how stories is the main way that people are consuming content on these platforms, and it's reels. the video itself, yep. right? You see this video, you go to the next one. And Instagram has essentially done um, the same thing with reels. So right, this is right. now just tapping into this way where the platforms understand that they are the place, they are the mm. destination. So it's harder for the artists themselves to really be able to build that deeper connection. So that's where yes. it becomes even more likely that the people that are liking and engaging on each thing may not actually know as much about you as you know, someone else that could be on a particularly different platform. So it's kind of this thing where as much as a lot of the mega platforms do have a lot of the power, and I think part of the reason they've grown is because they've made themselves a destination and they've done it that way. A lot of the other platforms that are a bit more built towards trying to cater to artists and having them connect with their fans more deeply, they aren't as big as a lot of the other platforms are. I'm thinking about platforms like a like an audio Mac or like a title or even a SoundCloud. They've all had initiatives in place to be able to connect artists with fans or to be whether it's you know your fan powered or music centric royalties or audio yeah. Mac has their badges. And these things are great, but I do think that these things hit more of the audiences for a lot of the artists that we're talking about, which is great, but maybe that's part of where that separation is, right? If you're an artist that look like for you on one of those platforms and maybe it's more about what your audience can have there and who cares what the stats look like for your monthly listeners on apple music or so or, or spotify or something like that totally and and it's it's interesting that you're making it's like i'm having this epiphany here of kind of how the major labels are looking at what their new intentions are, their new business model, I should say, in terms of not necessarily looking for the next superstar as much as they need to, as much as like, let's just get enough hits, singular hits, and it doesn't need to be by the same artist. It's not like we need to sign Drake that's going to be good for 15 hits over the next, you know, six years or whatever. Uh, They can just, Jay can just grab up any single TikTok as a similar model, we don't need the superstar creators. We don't need those influencers that have the tens of millions of followers because it's not necessarily as much on this platform on TikTok about your followers. It's about how do you keep people on the platform long enough and TikTok is structured in a way that half the time on your for you page, more than half the time, you're not seeing content from people you follow. You're just seeing content that TikTok thinks you're going to like. And so in one sense, you could say it's democratized a little bit more. But on the other sense, it's that artists are having creators are having a tougher time building a loyal following and an audience based on people who like their stuff. Because the the user behavior on TikTok is now just uh, trained to scroll. It's not necessarily as much about following someone that you like their content or you think you're going to dive deep into an artist. And and mind you, there is that too. And there's a subset of the community, but that's not how TikTok has been built. Like you said, that I mean, that's the biggest difference, I think, between TikTok and Instagram. Instagram is for your followers. It was built on you build up a following and your followers will see your content and your followers will only see the content from people that they follow. But TikTok is the complete opposite. And there's this parallel right now with, I think, the major label business model with also the TikTok model. And it's just like to be profitable and have a successful business, it's not that they need the superstars anymore. It's that you know, how well on TikTok model, how are you going to keep people on platform? And they've realized that it doesn't matter if you have five followers or five million followers, your content that you post may help TikTok keep somebody on the platform. That's why we see somebody who just starts an account on TikTok and their second post gets a hundred thousand views because they're like, you know what, we're going to test this out and oh, 
good job. You just, you know, you posted something that is going to keep our audience engaged. We don't care about the number of followers you have. Real quick, I want to let you know about DistroKid. Well, I'm sure you already know about DistroKid, but they are partners with Ari's Take, and they are a great company that can help get your music distributed to Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, all of that. Over a million artists use DistroKid. I'm one of those artists. I have distributed some of my music in the past. And something I appreciate about DistroKid as not just an artist, but someone who studies this space is they have been one of the most innovative companies over the last 10 years. They came in and completely changed the game. One of the first companies offering unlimited uploads, and now most of the other distributors have had to change their policies to kind of copy and follow suit uh, what DistroKid was doing, and the industry had changed, of course. DistroKid doesn't keep a commission. That means you keep 100% of your royalties and earnings from the DSPs. They also offer payment splitting. They call it splits, something that, for me at this point, is a deal breaker. I don't want to have to cut checks to all my collaborators and the producers and everybody else that is owed royalties and owed splits from my earnings. DistroKid will cut those checks directly. You can get them to uh, your collaborators to sign up, and then DistroKid will cut all the checks to all your collaborators. And they were one of the first to offer that of the DIY self-service distributors. DistroKid continues to innovate. Check them out. If you need to get your music out there, districtkid.com. Right. And they got it down to a science just with being able to give you that initial dopamine rush, right? It's encouraging. You see that you want more of it because we all know what it's like to post on platforms where you don't get engagement. That's how things drop off. They give you just enough in the early days to get you intrigued. And then things do start to trickle off a bit there. Yeah. Oh, totally. I mean, like, you know, there, TikTok would never say this, but there have been studies that have shown, you know, they prioritize people's first few posts when they newly create a TikTok account to get you hooked. And then they kind of taper that off. And it's, and now you're chasing, it's, it's, I mean, it's like a drug. And now you're chasing that high again. It's like, you know, it's like you're never going to get that first high or or you're going to try you keep trying to get that high again and it's harder and harder and harder um and tiktok's built that way i mean all the platforms you know are built that way um and you know like you said before uh how kind of the late the majors i mean they're having to restructure their business model because at this point they have about 65 percent of the market that means 35% of the market are independent artists, indie labels, self-release artists. The majors have to innovate. They have to change their business model because they're losing market share year over year. And that is terrifying to them. Now, you know, granted, they're all still profitable, uh, but it's like 20 years ago, they had, what, 95%, 92% of the market, you know, and now they're at 65% because the indies have come in and, you know, uh, the indie label, self-release artists, all of that. So it's still, they still have the infrastructure, they still have the money, they still have the resources to help launch an artist from 60 to 100. But like you said, they're not looking at the artists that are, are developing, really. And it's like... I think every artist needs to think about this if they do, well, one, if they're looking for a deal, but more so, too, if they are offered a deal, it's like, okay, realistically, am I worth this deal? Like, let's set your ego aside. Let's just, like, look at the numbers here. It's like, okay, you're talented. Cool. Everyone's talented. Like, you're not, it's, and like, unless you're, like, unless you are the next Adele or Michael Jackson or whatever, it's like, all right, let's be real here. Uh... It's not about talent. The label is not looking at talent here. They don't look at talent. They're looking at numbers. So are they signing you because you had one viral moment on TikTok? And are they just wanting that song? Or have you developed and built up an audience on your own that is is so undeniable and they will follow you wherever you go that you can go in with this clout and the label needs you more than you need the label? And then if you can go into those meetings with that, then you're unstoppable. Then you can dictate the terms where I want a licensing deal. I, you're not owning my masters. We're going to do a 50-50 split. 
which the majors are doing now. They weren't doing this five years ago, but they are doing it now. Right, because I think it's one of these things where the labels are seeing two trends happening, where it's one, these artists have more options than other, and Minerva specifically, that's why we're seeing the percentage of revenue coming from independent artists continue to grow and grow and grow. But then you're also seeing the record labels themselves making more and more money from streaming, right? So yes. on one hand, things are trending up, and on one hand, things are trending down. And I think that the mm -hmm. overall hope, at least from people I've talked to and what I capture, is that they hope that that revenue offset, you know, that increase of revenue from streaming offsets the loss of not being able to capture that, not being able to capture revenue from the newer artists, or specifically what may hurt them even more is these current artists that want to re-up their deals and want to do new, new deals. Because the way it is today, we look at the amount of catalog, like even if you just name the current people, whether you're looking at your, your Drake's, your Taylor Swift's or whoever, the amount of money that they're going to generate is a non, you know, is a non insignificant number. Like it's a, it's still a fairly, you know, strong number. That number is continuing to decline. But I think that they want to be able to say, okay, how can we at least get some piece of that pie knowing that we can't capture all of it, right? So I yes. do think it puts a lot of the independent artists in, especially the ones that have things set up in a pretty powerful position because if you're at that point where you are hitting that 60% and you've developed yourself to that point, you should be able to run the numbers. You should be able to do all the trade-offs to say, okay, does this really help me get to my goals? Yes. You know the things that it may get you going to that label. You may get that interview on The Breakfast Club. You may get a higher likelihood of performing at the Grammys or your name might be a higher font at Coachella or whatever. But does that help you connect with the fans and does that help you with your ultimate goals of what you're trying to do with your career? And I think that's mm -hmm. the ultimate question. And because oftentimes that can be in somewhat in contradiction to how other people perceive success, it can yes. be a distinction there. I read this article recently, I think it was in Billboard or somewhere, or one of those outlets where they interviewed eight successful independent artists. They didn't say how much money they were making, but I captured that their catalogs are likely generating at least, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars from mm -hmm. the way the article was talking about what they were doing. And one of the things that they talked about that they didn't necessarily feel like they had was whether it was respect or the same type of opportunities that their signed counterparts had. Even if the independent artist is making more money or bringing home more money than a lot of those signed artists. Yes. So, there's a vanity aspect of that. There also is a, a, a real opportunities aspect of it. Well, where it can be harder to get features, it can be harder to get those things because the industry itself is basing itself on metrics that don't necessarily tie into the ones that you, you know, not just intrinsically, but the ones that actually matter. Yeah, totally. And, and it's, it's, it's the cosine. And, you know, there is still a lot of pull in the industry when XYZ at Warner Records email comes in or Capitol Records or Sony or Columbia or, you know, Rock Nation or whatever. There there are um, there is still clout. And even though um, Spotify likes to pretend that the field is level when it comes to um, playlist pitching and stuff like that, the fact of the matter is, is a lot of labels have direct connections have their personal phone numbers and emails of the playlist editors and they get their emails returned and their phone calls answered whereas independent artists and indie distributors and indie labels don't and i i just uh read this article um it was in billboard uh, elias light wrote it um about radio and when it comes to radio now it's not as influential um, as it used to be, of course, um, radio usually gets the party last, but when you're trying to go mass scale and you're trying to penetrate the charts, <clears throat> radio is still part of the conversation and it can cost upwards of a hundred thousand dollars or more to run a radio campaign, uh, for, you know, hip hop, R and B or top 40 radio. Now on a triple a or a C hot AC or kind of, um, you know, more of a, um, an indie campaign, you're still looking at twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars. Where's that money going? The what what this article uh, illuminated what where the where it's at right now is it's not payola technically 
because you're not handing the radio DJ or the program manager a wad of cash or an envelope of cash like they used to do in the 70s and 80s. What it is now is there are radio promoters and they're the middlemen. And the middlemen are the ones that are like, oh yeah, it's going to cost $3,000 to add your song on this one station. If you pay me $3,000 cash, I'll get your song added. If you don't, you won't. And it's like, it's pretty crazy that that's how it goes right now. And so it's like, unfortunately, when there are still avenues like that, uh, pathways to to the charts, and it, that is a metric that people will talk about and can open more doors, there is this barrier of entry because it is required $100,000 to just have a shot at radio um and pop radio hip-hop radio r&b and if like most indie labels or indie artists don't have a hundred thousand dollars to just gamble on because it's not a guarantee where the majors have so much money they can do that and they can kind of gamble on that so the playing field is not still not quite level when it comes to a lot of these opportunities whether it's you know traditional radio or whether it's playlisting and it's, you know, we, we'd we like to think that because it has been democratized in the sense that anyone can create music from their bedroom, anyone can upload music to Spotify, anyone can, you know, run ads now, and anyone can can open a TikTok account and go viral on TikTok. Sure. And, and it does happen. And that is, you know, we are seeing market share being driven away from the majors into the indies. We are seeing independent artists succeed like this every day. Absolutely. But the majors are now sharpening their swords and their teeth to make sure that they maintain and they get they claw back their their market share and they are doing everything in their power to keep the status quo where they have the connections, they have the resources and the access, and the indies don't. Yeah, it's it's so fascinating. I think a lot about how an artist like Russ, for instance, I don't know if you saw that viral clip, but he had a song with Ed Sheeran and he was talking about how they spent $300,000 on the music video and he spent $700,000 on marketing. And a lot of people were like, wait, you spent $700,000 on marketing and you already had a song with one of the biggest stars in the world. And he's like, yes, because this is what is required to make it happen. And he's someone that was previously signed to labels. He's now doing it independently. But even at his level, that's still a lot of money to be able to make and push that record, especially you're trying to push that record now globally too. And that's the biggest thing you often hear, right? A lot of people end up signing with major labels because they hear that, okay, they want their music to ring out in all Mm. parts of the world and other corners. And the major labels will always talk about how they do have the global distribution advantage, which over your average independent artist, they likely are able to pull some strings there. But even that's getting more difficult now because a lot of these other countries are having their own stars. And with the developed and stronger ecosystem that we're seeing in Africa, in places in Latin America, in Asia as well, they don't necessarily need to listen to the American-based pop or rap stars nearly as much as they do because they have their own pop and rap stars that they have. So yes. even that's getting more difficult, right? I I think that we saw this era and this is one of the things we happened in the past few years as well. We saw more and more of the independent distributors and more of the independent record labels as well getting acquired by the major record labels. And yeah it became one of these things where it was this, if you can't beat them, join them ethos to it, because a lot of them literally had names like, you know, AWOL stood for artists without a label and they had a major record label. (laughs) And while, you know, it may be fine to think about the acronym, you get the move a hundred percent, because I think for them, there was a level that they necessarily couldn't go to, but that was, in a slightly, that was a few years ago, things are a little different now. We haven't seen as many of those same acquisitions in the past few years. It's because a lot of the big ones happen. There are a few big, you know, whales out there that I think the majors are still looking at, but this will be an interesting trend to continue to follow. Yeah. Um, I'm curious what you're seeing, you know, speaking of kind of the regional successes or the local, uh, 
the local cultures and communities and uh, around the world where it's not just about Western music or American music. Um, not only are there, uh, you know, local artists, but there are local DSPs. Um, like you mentioned Audiomack a few times. I think there's a good number of people listening to this right now that have never heard Audiomack until you mentioned it. It is not a, a, a streaming service. It's not a DSP that many people in the States have been paying attention to, whereas in Nigeria, it's massive. It's huge. And Nigeria is one of the the fastest growing music markets in the world. And there's a whole market there. And so it's like Audiomack is an example of kind of this specialized, almost localized streaming service. Deezer, huge in France, you know? And it's like, but Deezer, Deezer's uh, stateside uh, footprint is minuscule compared to Spotify, Apple Music, Tidal. Uh, well, even Tidal. Tidal gets the name because because Jay-Z, you know, bought it and started or whatever. But, like, if we're really talking about how many people are, like, there are more users of Audimac than there are of Tidal. Like, I hope everybody, like, knows that and, and understands that. Um, yeah, there's, like, I think, believe the last, look, there was, like, 20 million monthly audio Mac users uh, right now. So I'm curious if you're noticing, like, where is discovery happening right now? Like, you know, previously, other than TikTok, which we've talked about ad nauseum, but like, um, you know, there was SoundCloud rap five, eight years ago, kind of that, that, that SoundCloud thing. Actually, it was a little bit, yeah, eight, 10 years ago. Uh, there was, you know, SoundCloud was this hotbed of discovery for a while. Um, and there is, uh, you know, Dat Piff for a while was where discovery was happening. People dropping their mixtapes. Is there a place that you may, maybe most people don't know about where you're seeing discovery is happening other than TikTok, Spotify playlist, you know, that stuff? I do think you mentioning Audio Mac is a good one because. I feel like every week or every other week, I see some article that says there will be another big star coming from Africa and they Mm -hmm. will be, you know, the biggest star in the world. And that person may already be on their way. Of course, artists like Burna Boy and Wizkid have been doing Mm -hmm. their thing for years now and do have a strong fan base, especially here in the U.S. But I think a lot of people are expecting the next wave of stars just in the same way that we've seen. K-pop have its yep. moment. We definitely seen um, artists in Latin America have their moment. And now Bad Bunny is the most streamed artist we have right now. Yep. I think we will see that same level of impact likely come from an artist in Africa. And yes. as I mentioned, I think it could still be some of the names that um, I mentioned earlier. But I think it also will benefit the platforms that mm. are that have a strong foot in that area and audio mac is one of those so i think that if anyone really wants to track those things it's getting deep and granular with that data to be able to see okay what's trending what's popping here what can you see and where do these things take off so i think that can be one to see for sure nice what are you seeing in release strategy these days uh how are how are artists releasing music is it uh just singles are there even such thing as a mixtape anymore? Uh, if so, what does that even look like right now? Are there albums? Like, how are people releasing music in your perspective? I'm seeing more and more singles. I think that's something that we definitely saw that the streaming era has made easier. But mm-hmm. we're seeing it from the big artists. We're seeing it from the middle, um, you know, mid-tier artists as well. Really productizing the release of a single and making it seem in many ways just as big as what people may assume from an album. I think sure. that's been pretty effective. We've also seen these smaller packs as well. So I think these things have been good ways for artists to still save the album work mm-hmm. for whenever the big moment is, but sure. we're also seeing them still just find ways to be frequent and be regular because one of the unfortunate, I mean, well, I guess it may be a bit biased to call it unfortunate, but one of the trends you've kind of seen in music right now is that the streaming era has rewarded those folks who have been more likely to be consistently good as opposed to being occasionally great. And that's right. just given the nature of the releases. So a lot of the artists who are releasing things on a regular basis, 
they still are having the streams. I was talking to um, Currency, who's a hip hop artist, and he has been one of the leaders on the independent front for a while now. And he was talking about, okay, I may release three or four times as much as your other artists do, but at the end of the year, we still have the same number of streams. Mm -hmm. And we're still recording the same amount of music because they may only be releasing a 10th or you know 8% of all the things that they record, but I'm gonna release 50% of it, right? Mm -hmm. So they're treating streaming um, in a lot of ways the way that a lot of folks do. And I know that this is definitely a bit of a tension point because one of the frustrations a lot of people have is just how streaming has in many ways reduced the marginal value the perceived value of music itself and that so many people believe that music itself should have inherent value the way that it did in previous eras before piracy and all of that mm -hmm. so there's still artists that are doing that i think that vinyls have been a great way to be able to see that uh, trend happen. If it weren't for some of the supply chain issues that are happening, I think we'd see even bigger trends with yep. the impact of vinyl right now. But yep. now things are being a bit rationed off and you're seeing some artists get priority over others, which is a whole nother topic we could go into. But I'll, 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 I'll pause. Don't get me one. started on vinyl. I got I got this, <laughs> just just hearing it boil. It's just my blood pressure is rising with all of the issues that I, I had dealt with with my previous <laughs> uh, vinyl plan manufacturer with everything that went but but yes yes all of that being said cool well dan this has been a very fascinating conversation uh, i appreciate your perspective on everything and it's just been a, a joy to to kind of shoot the shit and uh you know volley back and forth um I, I have one final question that i that i ask everyone who comes on the show and what does it mean to you to make it in the new music business making it Capture so much that we talked about in this conversation, right? It's being able to have the choice and the ability to release music on your terms, be able to pay the bills and do all the things that you want to do and ultimately make decisions that are based in your choice. You can make decisions based in today and you're not necessarily sacrificing your time or your efforts today for some type of promise tomorrow because you're there or you're very close to that point. So you can live more in the moment and make decisions based on that. Dan Runcy, thank you so much. That was great. Thank you. Appreciate it, Ari. Today's episode was edited by Maxton Hunter, theme music by Brassroots District, and produced by all the great people at Ari's Take. This episode is brought to you by DistroKid. DistroKid is a distribution service that can get your music into all the DSPs like Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram. Over a million artists have used DistroKid. I'm one of those artists. I've used DistroKid to get my music out, distribute some of my songs. As you know, as I look into all of these distribution services, I test them out. And DistroKid is great. They offer a ton of features, annual fee unlimited uploads and you keep a hundred percent of your royalties check out districtkid.com